Welcome to 70 Times 7 Reasons to be both Catholic and Protestant. My name is Dave Nevins. I'm here with Dr. Peter Crave discussing some of the historic healing that's happening between Catholics and Protestants, building bridges where there haven't been bridges before. So, thank you very much for the visit. Well, not to be ungracious and correct you from the beginning, but I think the bridges Pope Francis is trying to build are the bridges that have been there for 2,000 years. He's just trying to rediscover them. And there you have it. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll be back again next week. <laughs> it's not that easy. But that's actually our theme today. Only a spirit can unite a body. Yeah, it's a miracle. And God started it and he'll finish it. The topic of unity is often treated as if it's a secondary thing, but by its nature, it's central, isn't it? Yes, it is. But the unity is not some abstract doctrine or lowest common denominator. It's the personal presence of Christ. It's pretty simple. Christ is united. This is the genius of Francis. He sees through ideas to the real presence of Christ in this miraculous event that's happening. He goes first for the center of the person, the spirit. Yeah. The mistake that the liberal media and conservative Catholic critics of him are both making, the identical mistake, is to try to fit him into an ideological agenda, a set of categories, a set of abstractions. Just as you couldn't do that with Jesus, he's not a Sadducee or a Pharisee, he's not a Zealot, he's not a Herodian, he's himself. So this guy, he's, he's great. Why do you think we don't see the church the way Christ does? We don't see it because we don't think concretely and personally first. We think abstractly first. We think, here are the problems, the theological contradictions, now how are we going to overcome them? What Francis is doing is saying, hey, that's your brother. That's your alienated brother. Embrace him. And when you do that, then gradually the thoughts will follow. Do you remember this video we saw? Oh, yeah, yeah. For those listening, this is a video of Pope Francis reaching out to many of the Protestant Pentecostal and Charismatic leaders at a conference. And I'll post the link in the YouTube description. And this is a really beautiful... Mm, yes, it is. Francis goes from inside out, whereas the modern Western approach seems to be from outside in, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And that makes the problem insolvable because either you stick fast in your present ideas and resist change and you're faithful and you're conservative but you're not going anywhere or else you're liberal and you compromise your ideas and truth is not an absolute anymore and you become a pragmatist and that doesn't work either. And those seem to be the only two possible options, but there's not. Most intractable problems can be solved only by moving to a higher plane, a different point of view. The story that the Pope referred to in that wonderful interview was exactly the right one. His brothers recognize Joseph. It's brotherhood that comes first. Then they can sort out what happened in history and who's right and who's wrong and what we should do next. Whenever we promote the secondary things over the primary, then aren't we contributing to the tearing of Christ's body? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the tearing of the body is the tearing of the one body. 
We tend to think that now we have two bodies. You have to put them together. That's the wrong perspective. There's one body. It, that one body is torn. When it gets healed, we'll look back at this age from 1054 onwards and from 1517 onwards as an event within the history of the church, not as an event of churches reuniting. There is only one church, but it's torn. All right, we'll be back in a moment to talk about some of these specific areas that are getting healed. So this is not well known, but about 20 years ago, Catholic and Protestant leaders finally got together after centuries of disputes and solved the famous faith versus works dilemma by simply clearing up issues with the language. Well, language is like a letter. If you're a lawyer, you can use it against anybody for any purpose at all. You can use it as a weapon. But if you're a human being and your aim is to make connections with another human being and to communicate and to help them to understand you so that you can understand them, then the language becomes flexible. But isn't that the way the Bible really is? Because it's yep. not a symbolic logic textbook. That's right. It's a love letter. Yep. And too often I think we focus more on the letter than the love. Yeah, of course. Not just too literally, but in a fossilized way. Let's take another issue. Who is to be saved? When we consider all of the Bible verses associated with salvation, whether or not it's confessing Jesus as Lord, or baptism, or communion, or feeding the poor, or persevering till the end, it's clear that the meaning, not just the words, is that you will do these things with love. Because you can do all these things without love. And at some point, this question becomes really easy. It's just, what is the highest thing? And if it's something other than loving God... Then you've got all those problems. If you don't get the central point right, the love of God, then nothing else follows. Yeah, because then you start arguing about which technique is the best. And that's resulted in theologians urinating on each other for years. <laughs> yes. Right? I mean, yes. isn't that what's happened? Yes. This congregation was divided and constantly arguing. And they just couldn't agree. So they decided the only one who can answer the question is the old rabbi who was 100 years old in a nursing home. He's the only one who remembers. So one representative from the conservative side and one representative from the liberal side were chosen to go visit the rabbi in the nursing home. And the conservative explained the situation and said, you have to judge. This is how we used to do it, right? And the rabbi said, no. And the liberal said, ah, so my way is the way we used to do it, right? And the rabbi said, no. And then the liberal conservative started fighting again. He said, no, he chose me. No, he chose me. And then the rabbi said, that's the way we used to do it. <laughs> <laughs> the church is a dysfunctional family. <laughs> Doesn't disunity always happen whenever we lead with something else other than the personal spirit? Yeah, the heart, love. Yeah. And we have different gifts. You often talk about the Catholics being more like the fireplace and the Protestants being more like the fire. Do the Catholics tend to emphasize the external body of Christ and the Protestants the internal spirit? Yes, or I'd rather put it that the Catholics emphasize the unity between the body and the spirit or the visible and the invisible church, whereas Protestants emphasize the primary importance of the invisible or the spiritual. And those two don't contradict each other because if you look at yourself... You can't say that you're two things, a body and a spirit, you're one. Nor can you say that your body is more important than your spirit. Your spirit guides your body, not vice versa. So they're both right. Let's explore the distribution of the gifts. 
starting with this Protestant list. Check this out. There are at least 19 times more Protestants publicly debating atheists for every one Catholic. For every six Catholic radio programs, there's some 10,000 Protestant ones. Protestants dominate the Christian music, film, and book industries. They know their Bibles better and religions in general. They have many more healing and deliverance ministries, report more satisfying prayer lives with Christ, and a vast number of them have activated their ability to let God pray for them, this gift called speaking in tongues. Here's a question of language again. When the church says we have the fullness of the faith, that doesn't mean that the faith has grown to its fullness. It's still a plant. A plant? Hold on to that thought. And it's got to develop not only its dogmas, but also its practices. And quite possibly these practical things, these spiritual gifts, we can find stronger outside the church than inside. We will and do find 19 times more people arguing with atheists and more people seeing angels and more people getting charismatic gifts outside the Catholic Church than inside. Yeah. But the question is, why? And let me give you some answers that I got from some high-profile Catholic leaders. Some blamed the overemphasis of the priests, some the overemphasis of Mary, and some blamed the overemphasis of the rules. And I noticed the parallel with the Trinity. Clericalism substitutes for Father God, Marianism for Christ, and legalism for the Spirit. The early church never called itself an ism. Mm-hmm. The Catholic Church claims to be the fullness of divine revelation. Now, does that mean that, let me start over, <laughs> if I can edit myself. <laughs> I was going to go somewhere, but my mind is now confused. I think the Holy Spirit's saying, shut up, you're going to make a mistake, so let's start over. <laughs> well, everybody was baffled. They would say things like, yeah, the Protestants just do more with less. And I thought, well, that doesn't solve it. Why do they do more with less? Well, we just get attacked more by demonic. And I thought, well, that doesn't answer the question either. If the Protestants have the first things first, they should be getting more attack. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. That's a good question. Why is he doing it that way? Why is he... Well, one obvious answer is that he is trying to show the world that it's supernatural power at work... In the Catholic Church, it's something that couldn't possibly come from a merely human source, so it's a sign. But then why is he letting Protestants massively do such justice to mere Christianity and Catholics not? Example, when I ask them on questionnaires what they would say to God if they met God tonight and God asked them, why should I let you into heaven? More than 90% of the so-called Catholic students never even mention Jesus Christ. And they usually give the answer of the Pharisees. Well, I've been a good person. I've tried. I've been kind. <laughs> and this is one of the things that keeps Protestants from thinking Christ is even in Catholics. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. When I was praying for this, I repeatedly received the same picture that the Catholic Church was more like the tree trunk and the Protestants were more like the tree branches. And the scripture kept coming into mind about how Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a tree. And I think this explains some of these strong Catholic giants like John Paul II and Mother Teresa and Padre Pio. Stigmata occurrences and the incorruptibles. When they show up, they're, they're spectacular. Spe yeah, yeah, big heavyweight rarities. 
And I don't think it's fair for anybody to say we are the whole tree. Well, that's not a doctrine, but an attitude. Attitudes can and should change, and the Pope is helping to do that. He is giving us a very sharp new perspective. He's not giving us new doctrines or denying old doctrines. He's giving us a great new perspective. Amen. A new spirit. Yep, yep. The Catholic Church seems to be sturdier, but also stiffer, while the Protestant branches are more flexible, but they can fall off. Well, I'm skeptical even of the image of the Catholic Church being the trunk and the Protestant churches being the branches. Something is wrong with that image. The church is one, and okay. Protestants would say they go back to the trunk. Their church is the simple church of the New Testament. They would argue that it's the Catholic Church that is branching out too far. <laughs> well, whether or not we see Christianity as the family of the Father, or the Bride of Christ, or the Body for the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Anything that has continuing, ongoing, living existence means that this notion that the Bible arrived out of nowhere is impossible. Of course. Isn't the fundamental defect of this notion of sola scriptura what comedian Stephen Wright uh, described one time? What's that? One day he saw a man with a wooden leg and a real foot. You really can't get more out of the effect than what's in the cause. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where does Sola Scriptura come from? Where does Scripture come from? It's like a spoken word without a mouth. Yeah. Protestants think the Bible came like the Quran, straight down from heaven, without any historical mediation. But again, to figure out which books are even in the Bible, you need revelation from the Holy Spirit. Of course. Protestant scholars will usually admit that, and they will admit that the Holy Spirit was at least active in the forming of the canon. And then he went to sleep. <laughs> Which, of course, is highly consistent. Yeah. And Protestants are, I think, increasingly questioning sola scriptura, or reinterpreting it. To see scripture as a set of propositions and principles is always going to produce division. There was no New Testament for generations, and yet people worshipped and prayed and loved. But you don't think that this image that I got explains why the gifts are distributed the way they are? Yeah, it does, insofar as both sides emphasize their distinctive gifts, and there should be distinctive gifts. But it's one tree. But it's one tree. We're back with Dr. Peter Kreeft, and it says here in your bio that you are a renowned professor, and I can't read the rest of your writing. That's what it says? I can't read the rest of your writing? <laughs> That's what most people say, yes. Yes, you are a renowned philosophy professor, but I can't read the rest of your writing. <laughs> Actually, I have you to thank, because some of my most original material came from you. My most original material is copied from me. <laughs> and some of your most original material came from C.S. Lewis who stole from George MacDonald and Boethius and Chesterton and everybody stole from Jesus, who says he took everything from his father. Ah, yes, and he was the most creative conformist in history. <laughs> what do you think about this question of what it even means to be a Catholic? Well, let's look at the word Catholicism. It's a, a rather late word. As far as I know, that word was never pronounced by any human being before 1517. That's a reaction to Protestantism. The church was called Catholic. Catholic was not a noun. It was an adjective for 1,500 years. And even Protestants confess they believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Universal. 
Right, but isn't the main reality not where you are on the tree, but the life of the tree? The concrete reality is, first of all, God himself and what he has done in history and what he is doing in the hearts of his people. And what he's doing in the hearts of his people is primarily spreading himself, spreading his love through Christ and the Holy Spirit. Yes. So the answer to your question is yes. And all Christians have that tree life in common. Yeah, the same life of Christ. Uh, they're Christians, and therefore uh, they're saps. <laughs> that is, uh, the very life of Christ, which the New Testament calls zoe, supernatural life, running in them. If you don't have that, you're not a Christian. C.S. Lewis wrote his famous masterpiece, Mere Christianity, not by appealing to anything unique to one particular part of the tree, but by bringing out the tree life. He didn't talk about denominationalism in all of his works. So mere Christianity is about the fundamentals of Christianity. Because of that, it's been probably the most powerful book in the history of ecumenism. It has brought together Christians from different denominations as no other book ever has. I never met a believing Catholic or a believing Protestant who had fundamental criticisms of that book. They all love it. Now, it seems like there's different camps that are frightened of this central core one group, critical of Francis, is the traditionalists. Yep. They call him modernist, liberal. They've got their category. He fits into their category. He's out. <laughs> well, I think you'd agree that some of these traditionalists are really right on the cutting edge of the past. Absolutely. You don't tell truth with a clock. Sometimes they only see the old side of things. For example, you can know some aspects about your birth when you were five years old because you were closer to the event. But then there are things you know more about your birth at 25 years old because we understand things differently. We need both perspectives. Yeah, we do. The genius of all the great saints, like Augustine, is always a both-and rather than an either-or. And that applies here, too. Well, that's what Jesus is like. Yeah, and he uses that uh, analogy of the householder who brings out of his household goods that are both old and new. So, yes, the church is conservative and stick in the mud and traditionalist and the anchor holes and it's immovable. And the church is also progressive and radical and constantly changing and moving in the wind with the sails. Yes, both. And if a person's stuck in an ideology, there might be a religious addiction, which can be far more vicious. I think men are more prone to that than women because men tend to be individualists and want to analyze things and detach themselves from it objectively and make it a system and control it. Whereas women are more intuitive and more relational and they identify themselves with their relationships. So it's men that tend to see religion as a thing, as a substance, and idolize it. Whereas women say, yeah, but it's all about relating. Love God and love your neighbor. <laughs> and uh, in some environments, I noticed that there can be a tendency to worship the church. Of course. And usually when you do that, you think you're worshiping Christ. Exactly, and that's why it's so deceptive. That's right. That's why Jesus had harsher words for the Pharisees, who were correct theologically and very idealistic ethically, than for the prostitutes and tax collectors. A lot of traditionalists have positions of organizational power, and through those structures, some of them are trying to shut down the Holy Spirit priority. 
Yeah, and Francis is changing that. He's shaking up the power structure. In the church, as outside the church, there's sin and there's selfishness and there's the lust for power and there's the me-first mentality and it's usually camouflaged. And he's shaking that up, yeah. Church has gone through worse times than this. The mafia used to own the papacy back in the Borgia days. That required a bigger shake-up than we've got today. Okay, let's target a few slogans, which are often misunderstood and sometimes divisive. Okay. Such as a phrase you hear some Catholics say, there's no salvation outside of the Catholic Church. Well, the Catholic Church does not mean the Catholic denomination. It means the Church Catholic, the Church Universal. The whole tree. So no salvation outside the Catholic Church means that when anybody gets saved, they get saved by being put into the Catholic Church, even if they call themselves Protestants. Exactly, but that's almost never understood. John Paul II was very clear about that. That message really didn't get out. No, no, and I am amazed at how almost all of the media misunderstood Dominus Jesus which was the thing issued on John Paul II's authority, but it was really written by Benedict, which was the definitive answer to that whole question of who gets saved and what's the relation between the church and salvation. On the one hand, objectively, Christ is the only Savior, and the church is his one and only universal instrument for salvation. On the other hand, subjectively, we can't judge who is really in it in a living, saving relationship to Christ and the church. And it's a simple point, but almost nobody got it. Can you tell the story of Father Feeney? Oh, yeah. He was this very traditionalist priest in the 30s and 40s, I guess it was, in Boston, who taught that outside the church, no salvation means that all Protestants go to hell. And the Vatican censured him. And they said, don't say that. That's not what the church teaches. And he kept saying that. So he got himself excommunicated. He found himself outside the visible church, outside of which he said there was no salvation, for teaching that outside that church there was no salvation. Highly ironic. <laughs> yes. So he had a choice, either give up his doctrine of no salvation outside of Roman Catholicism or <laughs> not make it to heaven. Yeah. Here's another one you hear Catholics say. Protestants have 20,000 structures of hierarchy, and we just have one. But couldn't a Protestant just as easily say, well, Catholics have 20,000 interior denominations? No. How do you get 20,000? Maybe a billion. <laughs> <laughs> Each one is his own church, but that's just human nature. <laughs> it's not quite so simple to say, well, because Catholics have the magisterial external structural unity, that therefore they have the internal spiritual unity. Most of the time, Protestants have more of that than Catholics. Mm hmm So? I'm just saying that that's a cliche that you hear bounced around a lot. A cliche is always a half-truth, so look for the truth in it. But a half-truth can be... Very dangerous. ...or on your way to a full truth. Yeah. It can be either. Yeah. Now, I think the reason that most Protestants are Protestants isn't because necessarily for a doctrinal reason. I think a lot of times it's because they look at things like Catholicism and go, well, that's not alive. Well, unfortunately, the main reason why most Protestants are Protestants is the same as the main reason why most Catholics are Catholics. It's easier. It's what they're used to. I think if we're honest... The church that we defend is the one that we're attracted to because of our personality temperament preferences. Well, it's inevitable. You want to be with people that you feel comfortable with. This is a really fascinating idea. Tell me what you think. I'm a part of some inner healing and deliverance ministries that specialize in restoring personalities that have been split off into compartmentalized fragments. 
And the Holy Spirit showed me that this is exactly what's going on in the church. The parts neurotically try to defend themselves, and both sides end up losing aspects of their personality. That's a very helpful insight, and one that makes me feel more optimistic, because both sides now want to listen to each other much more than they ever did before. They want to stop fighting. We're not even so much emphasizing our differences, although we're not denying them, but we're looking to understand what the other understands. Both sides are doing that more, and Francis is a shining example of that. And in these wounded personality situations, what happens is the emotions become frozen. And I suspect that this is the reason why the element of beauty in Christianity took such a hit. That's a very interesting historical fact, because that was not so in the Middle Ages. All art was Christian art. Christians were as good in the arts as they were in theology and morality. In the 20th century, that's not the case. Doesn't great art require harmony of the parts? They've got to be reconciled. It's union that produces the most fulfillment. Always. We've got to thaw them all out and bring them together again. Okay, this next one is going to be a stinger for both Catholics and Protestants. If the Roman Catholic Church wants to claim to be the core external authority for the body, then it has to be the first one to repent. Yeah. Because right now it's only taking input from half of the body's nervous system, these senses of the faithful, not just taking in Roman Catholic input and giving Roman Catholic output. Well, that's why Francis is so big on listening and dialoguing and consulting the whole of the faithful, including the non-Catholic faithful. And he's not doing that in a boss-like way, in an argumentative way, saying, I've got authority over you and you're wrong for not accepting it. He's listening. And therefore, they're listening to him. I notice when listening to some of your talks especially during the Q&A, that there can be this mysterious silence happening that takes on a certain character. Well, I find it very useful to stop talking to give an angel a chance to whoosh through. An angel only needs a second, but sometimes we don't even give him that second. The old adage says, don't speak faster than you can think, but since you're such a fast thinker, I seem to myself not to be a fast thinker at all, but a rather slow one. Really? Who would like to take much more time to think before I talk, but who feels the pressure to deliver sound bites on cue. <laughs> I think you're overqualified, actually. Well, speaking of sound bites, here's one. And now we come to one of the biggest topics for healing. You and many other writers talk about if you really want to know what the essence of communion is, it's like a marital embrace. Yeah. A spiritual intercourse. Yeah. And this may be a generalization again, but perhaps many Protestants are having sexless love and a lot of Catholics are having loveless sex. Yeah. That's a nice way to put it. Yep. But could this be an insight that this is the reason why Roman Catholicism has so much external glue, 
even though the internal joy is not always there. Sure. Well, the act of staying together, the choice to stay together is an act of the will, and that's an act of love. It may not be the fullness of love, but it's a choice. That's a minimal love. It's, yeah, it's not right. a fullness or a fruition. Right. In these adoration services, isn't it possible to worship the bread and wine just like a person could worship their spouse's body? Yes, it is. You can worship the matter of the sacraments, yes. And Protestants can worship the Bible. Yes. There's many different forms of idolatry, sure. Yeah, I'm just trying to steer away from this mentality of spiritual technologies. Right, right. Reduced it to magic. A machine. A machine? Give me a Coke. The Bible says you can have communion with the wrong heart. Oh, yeah. And just like any sacrament. Yeah. And then Paul says the sacrament actually works against you. Yeah. It's like Christ is into the act of intimacy, but you're not into it. Yeah, right. So what's the point? <laughs> We're agreeing on the premise. So what's okay. the conclusion? Well, the premise is because you can get to heaven without ever taking communion. Right. And then the church goes around with the slogan, this is the source and summit. People then conclude this is the number one way to get to heaven. Yeah. Okay. So that, I agree with you. That phrase is dangerous. It can be misinterpreted. Just as the phrase outside the church, there is no salvation can easily be misinterpreted. Exactly. And that's why the church is now clarifying and interpreting that in unmistakable ways, I think. And rather than enforcing communion with this machine-like schedule, is it possible to have it more led by the Spirit, more like the spontaneous interactions between a husband and wife? Well, that's a question that should be up for grabs, serious discussion, in at least two dimensions. One, the liturgical dimension, without sacrificing anything good in the structural or formal aspects of the liturgy. Should room be created for something else? That's perfectly legitimate. And the other question is, what about intercommunion with others? I don't think that's set in stone either. I think the reason the church says, no, we can't have it, is more a practical than a theoretical one. That is, the result of allowing intercommunion would be the perception on the part of both Catholics and Protestants that, well, it really doesn't matter what you believe, let's just all hold hands together. Why do you think, according to the numbers, that many more people report Eucharistic miracles outside of Catholicism? They're reporting them, but they're reporting more miracle, more non-Eucharistic miracles than in the Catholic Church, too. So I don't think it's Eucharist versus non-Eucharist. I just think the Church is very suspicious of miracles. You have to go through elaborate institutional investigations before you get a miracle certified. Well, that can be good or bad. Well, it's a good thing when it comes to canonizing a saint. And the church doesn't do it for individuals, doesn't say, that's not a miracle, automatically, to somebody who says, I just experienced this miracle. Well, if Protestants have the first thing first... All right, go on. I think there's more unity here than we're seeing in the intercourse. I don't think it's as bifurcated. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's a profound insight. When a Protestant without communion gives his whole self to Christ, and when a Catholic in communion gives his whole self to Christ in this marital embrace, it's the same Christ. Insofar as each looks through his different way to Christ, at Christ, each can see each other in a different way. And I think that's increasingly happening. This is my suspicion. Something supernatural is going on in communion. Oh, I agree. With Protestants. I agree. 
I think certain Protestants are getting the full substance, the full body and blood of Christ, even though they don't always have the same understanding theologically or always acknowledge the external authority connection. Why would you think so? Well, in the same way that they get authority for everything else, direct from God, for baptisms, marriages, gifted tongues, deliverances, and Jesus is telling them that they have full authority. Why should we say Protestants are married to God and everything else, but yet they can't go all the way? No, because if we are, then the Catholic Church is wrong. Could it be not wrong, but another one of these wording issues, just like all these other things? You don't think that's possible? Theoretically, the answer to your question is yes. If God wanted to, he could transubstantiate that bread and wine for a Protestant preacher, just as he does for a Catholic priest, if he wanted to. But if the Catholics are doing the performance and Protestants are getting the pleasure, would you ever say that of a marriage thing? No, that's where the analogy fails. If you don't get kicks out of sexual intercourse, you go to a psychiatrist. But I think there's something in the Mass that a Protestant can see, and a non-churched person can see, and a little kid can see, and looks at it and goes, that's just a funeral for a robot. I think the Holy Spirit in them is hungry for something that's missing in the celebration that's not moving with God. There is a place for a wonderfully peaceful Gregorian chant, two-hour-long high mass, and I think there is a place for a, a wild, shouting-in-the-aisle, smiling Catholic church, too. Yeah, but if you had to say which one Catholicism does better... Well, we're Irish. <laughs> you know the difference between Irish foreplay and Italian foreplay? Irish foreplay. Brace yourself, Bridget. Italian foreplay. Hey, Maria, I'm home. <laughs> God is funny. Oh, yeah. Jesus is a master of humor. The irony inherent in serious situations. I bet Jesus and Thomas Aquinas have had a really good laugh about Thomas's life. Because here you have this immense genius of philosophy. And then at the end of his life, he has this charismatic experience of God. And then he says... Everything that I've written, it's all... Use the word straw. He had this vision of God, this foretaste of heaven. He said, compared with what I've seen, I cannot write another word. It's all straw. Straw was used in the Middle Ages to cover animal dung. So he's saying the Theologic is really the S word. And that's funny. Greatest work of theology in history, compared with God himself. Well, it's just <laughs> a joke. How could you look your face in the mirror... How could you look in the mirror and doubt that God has a sense of humor? No comment. But stay with us for the final chapter, The Holy Spirit Solution. Do you play in a band, all these guitars? Oh, I just own guitars. You just own guitars for the sake of owning them. You don't even play them. <laughs> okay, Pope Francis has recognized that the movement for more interactive two-way prayer, often called the charismatic renewal, has this, quote, special role to play in healing the divisions, praying with other Christians. This is just another important case in point of the need for ecumenism to take a different attitude towards each other. John Paul II says, what we need more than anything is common worship. Yeah. And a gift exchange, a charism exchange. Yeah. Yeah, because when, when you do things together, you see things differently. 
you look at that image of the tree again, the charismatic renewal is not a branch of the tree. Rather, it's the miracle grow for the entire tree. And the parts of the tree that are receiving it are bearing fruit. Yeah, yeah. Because what's happening in the global south is the opposite of what's happening in Western civilization. The person in charge of the charismatic renewal in Argentina was Cardinal Bergoglio. Pope Francis. I suspect that his primary emphasis there comes from his experience of miracles that he sees. Yeah. The same is true in Africa. Same is true in Muslim countries. More Muslims are becoming Christians now than ever before, and almost always because of something supernatural. Miracles and visions. It's supernaturalism. And stay tuned, everybody, because later in the audio, we're going to talk to one such person. In the modern West, isn't it easy to default to one-way prayer? We tend to a kind of semi-deistic religion. God is perfect, and God is great, and God is exalted, and God is worship, but there's not really dialogue. There's not really intimacy. Why do you think dialogue in prayer is so much better? Because you get close to somebody in dialogue. You get out of yourself. When you're deeply united with somebody else, you think about the somebody else first. I think a great example of two-way prayer is that we wouldn't even have Pope Francis today if it wasn't for Pope Benedict getting those repeated messages in his prayer to step down. Oh, absolutely. That was, that was miraculous. Radical. Lotus, both individually and communally, we have to let him move where he will. And I totally agree with you that that means we have to shake things up and step out into the deep and let things happen that we're afraid to let happen. I totally agree with that. And then isn't one of the things we can do, this model that Christ gave us at Pentecost, where we wait in worship until we have that breakthrough where we get the drunken love. If you go back to the story of Pentecost in Acts 2, the fact that the apostles seemed to be drunk was a reason why the Jews said, we're not going to buy this stuff. That's an obstacle to be overcome. So at first, that's a negative, but then when you understand what it is, it's a positive. You're drunk with love. That's the kind of crazy love that God is. He holds nothing back. We can receive that love of God, and that's an astonishing thing. Absolutely unbelievable. The God of everything loves you. He's nuts, thank God. <laughs> In a good way. Yep. Okay, we're going to wrap up this audio. Thank you very much, Peter Graved. And thanks for sticking with us, everybody. You don't want to miss this last part where we're going to do some experiential two-way prayer. And this is what I burn for, is that the church would experience more of this manifested Christ. Hey, my daughter is alive today only because of a miracle that I witnessed. Oh, really? Yep. That's a nice benefit of being charismatic. Yeah, it is. It's not easy letting God be drunk in love with you. Yeah, it is. But we're experts at making things that are really easy into very difficult things. Amen to that. Okay. Thank you. This is a hard fun. topic, obviously, because there's so much you never want oh, to yeah. defend them. Yeah, and that's, that's why I love it. I love hard topics.
What you're about to hear is some interactive prayer preceded by some testimony. The audio quality is not terrific, but uh, I think you'll still enjoy it. Well, Pete, thanks for coming out. Really appreciate it. He's going to be talking on angels and demons tonight. You've had some experience with those, right? Maybe. Here. <laughs> How does your angels and demons talk usually go over very well, doesn't it? Yeah, people are interested because almost nobody talks about that. And yet it's so intrinsically fascinating. Mm-hmm. People are fascinated with uh, science fiction stories about extraterrestrials. We have real extraterrestrials. Exactly. Okay, so let's first uh, talk a little bit about Do you want to hear a little bit of her story? Yeah. Story about my conversion. Yeah, and also that experience you had with our army. So, um, basically, uh, born in Niger Republic, I grew up in a family where my mother was Christian. I mean, he's Christian, and my father is Muslim. And I was lucky enough that my mother would take me to church and give me the Bible and let me read it. And so, I basically grew a relationship with Jesus. And um, so, it was just a journey for me to be able to understand what being Christian is and how to connect to God, you know? And it's all the way until I came here in the United States. But there was still that brokenness where I felt like I'm not connected yet. And so, he just surprised me one day. Um, I was at a very low point where I felt all alone on earth and trying to grow my faith and try to get involved and know more of the Christian faith. And so one day I went to a church and the Holy Spirit just revealed himself to me. I had no idea who he was. (laughs) I've been praying this prayer for a long time where I was just calling on his name without knowing who he was. The Holy Spirit? The Spirit, yes, the Holy Spirit. So he just... One day at lunch, I could hear this voice in me that was not me. It was definitely a powerful person talking to me. And the message was, God loves you so much. God loves the world so much that he gave his only son to redeem the world. Jesus came on earth and saved you, taught you everything you need to know and basically gave you the message of love for you to love one another. But look at that, it seems like he came, people forgot, you know? He suffered so much and look what's going on in the world. And I started crying, I couldn't control myself. It was just a healing cry, it was just, it was so much, because people couldn't see me. I didn't know where to go and hide, but it was a revelation for me where I, that moment I knew that, wow, God is real. Mm -hmm. This is an open door to heaven and I'm so glad, I mean, who am I to get this message? Mm -hmm. Why me? What did it feel like? Mm -hmm. Uh, What about the hard questions? How did you know it wasn't your imagination? Because it was always there. It was something you couldn't change? Yes. It was something that was there, but better than me and stronger than me. And I could feel in me that it was God. It's just, you know. You never thought this would happen to you before. Exactly. You kind of think you know who God is. You put him in a box. Okay, he's there. But (laughs) when he reveals himself, there's no way for you to doubt. You just know. Mm -hmm. Because he was there all the time, you know, all along. But you just didn't know. I mean, until he gives you the Mm praise to hear him or know him. And then you had another experience at the prayer meeting. Can you talk about that? So after becoming a Christian, one day I just felt that I needed to confess. 
in the heart to heart with Jesus, I felt like I needed to be connected to him and probably some stuff that I've done were in a way basically crowding, you know, our relationship. And so I just came, opened my heart to God and just asked him, you know, can you please forgive me? And when I was asking Jesus, I asked him, I want to know that you really forgave me. That's just the way I work where I wanted him to give me a sign that he's okay. He said, yeah, you know, and at that moment I felt this click in me where the heaviness just lifted away. The guilt and shame also went away. And so that was the sign Jesus was giving me that it's gone. I can just like this, you know, wash you with my blood and it's over. You have that, right? And so at that very moment, he just gave me a glimpse of heaven as a proof. And it was just an amazing experience where my soul went to heavenly place. You had something like an out-of-body experience except yes. you weren't dying. I knew where I was, you know, sitting in my quiet place with him. But I also knew that I was somewhere else at the same time. And so I just felt that I was in heaven in front of a house. I cannot explain the house. It was just there. And we were outside. I say we because I didn't feel alone. It was me in that place where everything was so peaceful and beautiful and satisfying. But there are people around me, and there are other souls. I could feel their presence. I couldn't see my body. I couldn't see their bodies, but it's just my soul was at that moment, at that place, with other souls, and there was no one missing. There's mm. not that feeling of, oh, who's mm. here? No. Mm. It's everybody and me. And, you know, I could feel also this huge tree that I couldn't see, but that feeling of, Basically, God nurturing us, you know, and we were under the shade and whatever you need is just there. You know, there's nothing your heart is needing. Mm -hmm. Everything is there, you know, so you're just satisfied and grateful. And it was like being a child, two years old, probably. Mm -hmm. You feel more pressure than where I was, you know. How long ago was this? It was about a year ago. Okay. How many of these experiences have you had roughly? experience like this yeah i mean this one i think tops <laughs> all the experience that i had you get visions of angels i do i mean the lord you know bless me with visions and you get visions of angels too can you describe them uh yeah they're beautiful how do you know that they're not your imagination because before i was so shut off there's absolutely no way it's my imagination because before I was not willing to believe. I was not open. I was so incredibly closed and dark and it was awful. Can you tell the difference between something that might be masquerading as an angel and something that's a real angel? Yes. How? You feel it. Because of darkness? Yeah, it's like um, earlier today I told you I prayed and I saw <laughs> it was something else. I was like, I know you're not real. You might as well show yourself. You know, I talk in my head, and I don't speak out loud, but I speak to those things that I see, asking them to show me what they really are. Sometimes you can see outlines. Yes. And so, do they have faces? Yeah, sometimes they do. I've seen their angels because we pray more often together. And I think each session is different because each session is based off of what we're experiencing at that time. And I've seen their colors and their angels, and I think that... 
like the one I saw today wasn't an angel and I knew it. I was like, you need to show me who you really are. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to play a game with you. Like I felt it. Mm-hmm. And whatever it was came out. And I don't mm-hmm. know what it was, but it was angry and upset. And, mm-hmm. just, and I was like, I'm going to have to ask the Lord to let you release. And it left? Um, it was slowly leaving as the light was descending upon it. Going down, mm-hmm. praying. So, and your creatures have experiences too. Not of angels, but you've had various supernatural things, like that guy in college. Was he a Christian? I don't think so. I think he was an occultist. Oh, okay, so he was playing for the other team. Yeah, you could kind of tell that it was. Yeah, it was very strange and dark. It felt wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You can feel. So, what do you think are some of the best metrics outside of the obvious ones of? Checking it with Christ, checking it with the Bible, checking it with the church. And obviously the Bible says, first ask, do you believe Jesus is Lord? We have to keep asking questions, Mm -hmm. like you did. Mm -hmm. We're like little children, and we have to be totally honest. And we can also go to either extreme, right? Like if God is offering us a gift and we neglect it, that can be worse than being afraid of the darkness and not being open to anything. Well, that's true. In dealing with persons, you have to do it both ways. In dealing with ideas, you have to be skeptical and negative and use a scientific attitude, and every idea is guilty till proved innocent. You can't deal with people that way. Yeah. So no matter where you are on what you're doing, it's always see the good, keep out the bad. Yeah. Okay, great. Can you describe the angels anymore? Whether you male or female? <laughs> and by male, you mean mask. Yes, I feel how they are. It's just that protective, you know, emotion that you get from them, and they hold you where you've been hurt the most. Were they the same size as you or taller? No, they're huge. Huge, yeah. They are huge. Yeah. And they are so... Like, that's why I told David, I'm not afraid. <laughs> These mm-hmm. angels are giant. Were they dressed in any particular clothing? No, they were light. Ah, they yes. were light and mm-hmm. just, I guess it was like, if anything, uh, just drapes. So all the art and pictures of angels get them wrong. Because mm-hmm. they're light and drapes and... Unless and they disguise have... themselves as human beings. Right. Sometimes they do If they pick to do that, it's like, again, you have to ask. And you've also seen colors that you've not seen in the natural world. Right. Really? Colors I can't explain. Hmm. Like, I, I can't explain. I wish you could see this. And it's like an enormous amount of light or, you know, and it has its own color. It's not even an ex. I can't even say it's a mix mm-hmm. of something. It's beautiful. Well, do you want to see what's hanging around here or do you already know? I don't know. <laughs> we have to open it, see what's up. Well, we can just do a prayer and see if you're good with that. <laughs> Okay, I'll leave it if that's all right. I'll just do it really simple. So God, we thank you for this time, and we just allow you to love us, and we thank you. And we invite you in Christ to reveal yourself, not in a forceful way, but as a gift way. And we were just little kids, little brothers and sisters of you, and we just ask you to show yourself up. It's not based on our effort, but just on your work that you've done, we just respond. So if you want to show us what's going on around here and what you're doing, we'd love to, not as a game, but just as a way of getting closer to you. If you want to do that, we invite you to do that. And uh, we reject anything that's not supposed to be here. We just say you have no right to be here in the name of Jesus. Just get rid of anything that's nasty and just say go away. 
Alright, so God, we're just going to wait on you until you uh, until you want to reveal what you want to reveal, and just let it be of you. So thank you, God. Bless you. I want to talk about your man, talk about your path. I want to 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 talk about your path. Thank you, God. We bless you and worship you, God. And we love you. Thank you, God. I come from the heaven and 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 the heaven. So, God, we love you and we wait on you. Thank you. I'm going to call you the heaven and 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 the heaven. since we were talking about it. Um, it took us a, a second because it's got that light that I can't explain. It's a color that's like... Is it in the room? Yeah, it's on the table. On the table. <laughs> on the table. <laughs> that's why I laughed because it's kind of looking at all of us. We all have this light and it's just reveling in that. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. I wish you guys could see this. And you can't describe the colors. No, this doesn't have, like, I can't say yellow, I can't say white, it's not even white. It's like, it's amazing. What do you feel? Well, I just have a sense of the Lord. There's something about where he's working from the inside out instead of the outside in as much. And I just feel his love for there's a privacy. The bottom line is more inside out than outside in. And so, God, I just bless that. And I just thank you for all that. And I just bless with protection. There's also something about relationships, him working from the inside out. And so, God, I just thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Do you sense anything? A sense, some power just coming. Yeah. That's your angel. It's running around touching everybody. <laughs> it's so happy to be here. It's beautiful. Peter Craig's angels running around touching people. <laughs> yes, it is. Right in this room, it's running. <laughs> I'm just so happy to you're be here. You're cracking me up. I can't help you. Like a child. It's beautiful. It's running around touching people, blessing. Yeah. It's just a giant individual that is looking like a human form, so I'm not afraid. <laughs> just could feel this beautiful energy. I don't know how to explain that, just the feeling. <laughs> it's definitely not a, an energy that you have, just this energy in the room is what I feel. It's good energy. Yes. 
Um, I feel a little bit more on what I felt the Holy Spirit was saying earlier. After the thing about the angel, there's a sense of God awakening something childlike and I don't know what the fruit of that will be but the sense of it has to do with joy and also with even needs that may be put on hold for a long time personal needs and yeah it's like the Lord wants to come in and fill those needs and there are places that are very tender and the Lord is it seems reaching to those places to make it almost like a safe place or a secret place for those things to be allowed to flourish. I want to confirm that um, the word that the Lord has given because I could see in the spiritual realm the Holy Spirit was moving and usually when that happens he's giving his approval as to the word that's been spoken. His spirit is moving and um, it's just beautiful, this ray of light that was just coming over in the entire room. So just confirming this. Great. We've got to wrap it up here and be on the road, so let's just wrap up with the prayer here. So anyway, God, we thank you that you love us and that's the number one thing we focus on. And we thank you that you want to go into those places, places that we don't even know about, places that are unconscious to us, surprises that you have for us in the future, so we don't have to plan it out or do it ourselves or box it in, we just get to receive like little kids, and we thank you God that you fight our battles and that we just watch and cooperate, and uh, I ask you to bless everybody here, I ask you to bless Peter's talk tonight, and thank you for his company, I ask you to bless these ladies and his household, and we thank you God for the best, as you know. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Peter. All right, thank you. Thanks for letting us throw you in the wash on the spin cycle. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> All right, great. Thank you, ladies. And I have to run and drive him. Okay. Nice to see you. Nice to yeah, see you. Yeah, thank yeah. you for your prayer. Thank you for sharing. If you've enjoyed this, don't miss the book, Surrendering to Abundance, on Amazon, as well as lots more at davenevins.com or petercraste.com.